Dotnet Rocks episode 766, recorded live Monday, May 7th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're here. We're all here. What's up, Richard? Uh, we're here. We're fine. How are you? I don't know how many times we started the show with that dumb Star Wars joke, but it's so funny. Han Solo is your friend, man. Just, so, just what can I tell you? Um, this is the fourth show of the day. Yeah. No, the third show? Yeah. Third yeah, show. That shows state you're in. You don't even know how many shows we've done. Well, you know, we get punchy after two. Yeah. And the fourth show is really ridiculous. We should have had Rob on later so we could have all been really, really punchy. Yeah. Anyway, I'm babbling. Let's get into Better Know a Framework. Awesome. Which is really now Better Know Your .NET Community, I yeah. think. Better Know a Random Thing. Better Know a Random Thing. <laughs> random shit, Carl says. <laughs> what do you got? Well... You know, in honor of Rob and CoffeeScript and JavaScript, I think a lot of people, uh, JavaScript programmers are going to be listening today. So I went out and found um, Specky Boy Design Magazine published the top 40 free Ajax and JavaScript codes for web designers. Oh, yeah. So that's at tinyurl.com slash top 40 JavaScript. And, you know, we're, we're talking Lightbox right at the top which is a, a simple, unobtrusive script used to overlay images in the current page. So basically, it, they have a demo that draws a border around an image when you mouse over it, that nice. kind of stuff. There's a, a timeline for visualizing time-based events, you know, because if you wanted Microsoft Project in your web browser, there you go. You've got reflection.js, which allows you to add reflections to images on your web pages. Works in all major browsers. And you have stuff like the Ajax Instant Messenger, you know, yeah, instant messaging. Uh, Starbox, which lets you create all kinds of rating boxes using just one PNG image, you know, like five five star ratings, all that kind of stuff, and just a whole bunch of stuff. So there's forty of them there. This this speaks to the real issue, which is there's so many projects now. Yep. A, you have almost no excuse to write anything. You should just be gluing stuff together. That's right. And and B. Good luck finding stuff and, and then make the real challenges and assessing its relative stability, trustability, quality. So these guys went out on a limb and said, these are our top 40 favorite free, and I, I want to emphasize free, Ajax yeah. and JavaScript codes. So there you go. Enjoy awesome. it. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of arguably the most intellectual show we've done in a long time, show 760. That's Memory Management with Ricky Leakes. We interviewed a effing vegetable a vegetable yes. rob can you believe we stooped to interviewing a vegetable have you ever done that on this developer's life i feel like i co-host with a vegetable <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's gonna get me in trouble right there oh oh i'm thinking it might yeah just a little bit i see some blog posts in your future <laughs> anyhow what did, the, what did this person say i mean the comment? funny the funny part of course is that as much as he may have been a leak he knew an awful lot about memory management he did and uh, uh Junipeka 
wrote us a comment on the website who said, Absolutely great to hear garbage collection being discussed. It's a vast and complex topic that, in my opinion, receives far too little attention. To make matters worse, the information about garbage collection that floats around is often plain wrong. Mm -hmm. And when you try and optimize around something that you don't understand or are misinformed about, you're more than likely to go wrong. Yeah. To comment on the parking lot metaphor and whether moving objects in memory should be cheap on modern hardware, it is not actually moving that is expensive. The expensive part is fixing all the references once you've moved an object. Because, you know, when you're actually just rewriting a piece of memory, that's very fast. It's just a stream. It's contiguous. It's easy. But then you got to go poke around in all these different chunks of memory to update all those references. And you got to block while you do it, which sucks. Yeah. Um, there, but uh, Junior goes on to say there are very clever tricks to make this feasible. And the CLR employs what is known as card making to keep up with the mutator, i.e. the program. And if you ever disassemble some JIT code that pokes around with object references and look for calls to various barrier programs, you'll see that the JIT compiler does this. Um, this is also one of the various reasons why compacting collectors often need to stop the mutator, also known as stopping the world to complete a collection. Please That's wait. What, yeah, that is the big old block. And for me, you know, running ASP.NET at the outer edge, that is when my life goes to hell. Yeah. Uh, lastly, it would be great to hear you discuss Mono, as it also has a great generational garbage collector called SGen. But hey, discussing that would be a topic for a whole other show, and you're right, there would be. There's certainly lots to talk about in SGen, and there are already impressive benchmarks comparing it to Boem GC, which is an older, more conservative GC. How do you spell that? that? Mono employs uh, Boem, like the like the opera, like right? La Boem, B O H E M E, without the e at the end, without the at the end, B O E H M. Okay. But, uh, you know, what he, what Juna brings up, which uh, I, I don't think we've ever talked about on the show, is the fact that there's a couple of different garbage collectors for Mono. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't think Mono gets enough love. There's some amazing things in Mono, and it's really this opportunity to rethink .NET, even though it's, you know, in the past now, but in, in some respects. I've often said that one of the smartest people about the .NET framework is Miguel de Acasa, because he wrote a version of it. Yeah. Not a lot yeah. of people can lay that lay down that particular line. Well, he he helped manage a team that wrote it, and he certainly contributed a big chunk of it. But yeah. you know, we use Mono internally uh, in the Strange Loop appliance, and so we've had uh, Miguel on the phone a lot because we really beat the snot out of Mono a few times. And uh, one of the things we ran up against was challenges with uh, SGen, which is garbage collecting at that kind of velocity. We got to have him back on the show to talk I about some of that stuff. Think you're right. And Juna, thanks for the great comment. Really appreciate it. We're going to send you a .net rocks mug. And if you'd like a .net rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .net rocks.com. And before we introduce Mr. Connery formally, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have over 250 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts such as those that appear on our show. Pluralsight releases 10 to 15 new courses every month and offers a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes to their vast video library. Pluralsight offers a full curriculum on web development with courses on ASP.NET, jQuery, JavaScript, and Fundamentals of CoffeeScript by Liam McLennan. Awesome. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. And with that, it's time for Rob. Rob Connery is co-founder of TechPub, co-host of This Developer's Life, and the creator of Subsonic. In a previous life, Rob worked at Microsoft on the ASP.NET team. 
He specializes in simple design forged in the doing of things rather than the philosophy of what an application should be like. He works primarily in ASP.NET MVC, but has recently transitioned much of his work into Ruby on Rails, including the TechPub site. He lives in Kauai, Hawaii, with his wife, Kathy, and two daughters, Madeline and Ruby. Welcome back, Rob. Well, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for being here. It's a good thing you're not a vegetable. <laughs> Just yes, saying. and you did a lovely job reading that intro. In fact, could you do it again? <laughs> Rob Connery is co-founder of TechPub. No, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> oh, dear. So how's it going with TechPub? And tell us, tell us about TechPub, because I'm not sure we ever really talked about it that much on the show. Uh, it's going well. Uh, I'm struggling to try and stay small, if you will. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of interest. And uh, th- we did a video with Scott Hanselman recently on speaking. Right. And they gained a lot of attention. And a lot of new people came in. And they hung out for a month or so and said, well, wait a minute, you know, where's, where's all the new stuff coming? And I said, well, you know, we usually push a video once a month. I take my time with it. And, um, you know, of course, that, that causes issues with people yeah. who expect more. They want more. Yeah. My feeling is always that I'd rather turn out something polished and rounded and I don't care, you know, about volume. Yeah. However, um, you know, it's such an interesting position to be in because you want to get all the goodness out there. But at the same time, if you just churn and burn it, because, you know, I'm a staff of, what, one? And right. uh, I can't I can't churn and burn because the quality will go down. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I, totally, I totally agree with that philosophy. We, um, we were lucky enough to get to the point where we could have uh, uh, sponsor revenue so that we could support a staff of editors. But yes. not everybody has that luxury. So, yeah. anyway, so anyway... Well, plus, and I, I got to say this uh, as a listener to this developer's life, you know, we make a pretty straight up talk show, but you really get into the art of that style. Uh, very, you know, yeah. uh, this American life. And I love yeah. that style. Yeah. And that's why I love listening to your show because. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's not just talk. It's really engaging. But we, I also know, and I think Carl knows, it's got to be a ton of work. Holy. Oh, yeah. Yep. Just picking the music. Well, that's, you know, I, I, the, for the last show we did, I spent three and a half hours on Magnatune. That's where we get all of our uh, royalty free stuff and, you know, just picking the right thing. And once I did that, you know, you got to comb through the audio and squeeze out all the ums, all the ahs. You got to make sure the pauses are right. You know, yeah. you know how it is, you guys, right? You hear people speaking and they, and they do weird things with their tongues and their teeth and they have all these affectations uh, and it distracts from the story. Uh, right. Especially, you know, when you're talking to people who aren't trained to speak uh, in front of others, they have so many weird things going on. Um, Anyway, all that aside, yeah, I really try and and pay attention to each show. Well, it works. It's working for you. So let's talk about CoffeeScript. My first question in CoffeeScript is, if you don't know what it is, it's sort of a, a trans compiler for JavaScript, right? So why why would you write a language that writes a language? Is there must be something really good in there that lets you do something that JavaScript by itself wouldn't do? Oh boy, you just asked the cannonball question. So I have to preface all of this. I am just a journeyman. I am not an expert. Okay. Um, I try and suss out every issue and take a look at it from all angles. But the deal with JavaScript, the way I put it to a friend was, um, I grew up in Los Angeles. I left Los Angeles just before college. I never wanted to go back to LA ever again. 
hmm. just because it was disgusting to me. Yeah. So I go to college, meet my wife. 10 years later, we decide to go visit my mom. And uh, some friends, I decided to go meet some friends. We go out to these little places, uh, Pasadena. We go down to Hollywood to a couple places I knew. And I was blown away at just how much I actually loved Los Angeles. Huh. And, and so it's the same thing with JavaScript, right? JavaScript back in the day was horrid. I mean, you guys know this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a language that's, as, uh, 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 as Douglas Crockford said, full of, uh, full of blunders and wonderful, exciting parts. Mm. When you start using it, you have to develop good patterns. You have to know what those blunders are. Because if you don't, you're going to write horrible code that it takes forever to debug. Mm. So some really smart guy decided, well, let's just DSL all of this domain-specific language. Let's just make it so you can write code that you feel like writing and not worry about the blunders. And so it writes, when you write CoffeeScript and it transcompiles, what it actually does is writes the code that you intend to write in JavaScript for you, if that makes sense. Nice. That's a great idea. Yeah. And plus, it, the syntax is a lot more expressive. So it's much more like Ruby. In fact, it borrows heavily from Ruby. So when you do write the code, you can write it expressively. JavaScript is not an expressive language per se. It's functional. Uh, functional languages, uh, you have to grasp with things like asynchronous uh, asynchronous stuff and callbacks and mm -hmm. all those things. Mm -hmm. You're writing functions everywhere. And it's not the same as object-oriented approach at all. CoffeeScript gives you a little bit of object-oriented ideas. So you can write a thing called a class. Well, there are no classes in, in JavaScript. But with CoffeeScript, you can write a class. You can have properties. You have constructors. You have all these things. And uh, yeah. Well, there, that answers it, though. I mean, JavaScript is not an object-oriented programming language and and this is i mean if you're uh, i mean that's enough for me to get started because there's with with objects there's many more things that i can do much better than without them so it's true and this is the point in the show where you have the javascript aficionados out there white knuckling it screaming at the speakers and i'm sure but you Say, know what for me i'm just talking about myself sure sure yeah, of course. i mean we're we're this is dot net rocks right this isn't javascript <laughs> rocks <laughs> you can do your own show. Go right ahead. Um, hey, now that's an idea. Yeah. No, I'm serious. But <laughs> Who would you, do but, that? But, you know, we, we live in a world of objects, The most of our listeners here. And, um, you know, that that's a good reason. It may not be the only reason, but that's a good reason. And uh, I also uh, understand that CoffeeScript, the, what it produces, runs as fast or if not faster than JavaScript you could write by hand. I'm don't not sure why it would run faster, but... Maybe it's just because it knows how to write JavaScript better than you do. <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't seen any benchmarks, but they do some tricky things under the covers. In fact, a lot of people say that if you're uh, new to JavaScript, what's actually quite fun is to learn CoffeeScript first, see what it writes, and then figure out why. Mm. Uh, a lot of people believe the exact opposite, that you should know what you're doing. And the truth is, it, doesn't, it, takes, it would take all of four to six hours to read Crockford's book and figure out, oh, okay, this is the bad part. Like, you know, right. variable hoisting. Whoever thought of that? Yeah. The, those kinds of things that, that just absolutely smack you upside the head. Well, let's talk about some other cool things about CoffeeScript versus sure. JavaScript. You know, try to, try to, try to sell us on it. <laughs> I, honestly, I can't. Uh, and All here's right. why. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I don't want to either. So, so this is the interesting thing. Um, I've been doing this blog series, uh, trying to climb into all the latest buzzwords in the JavaScript world. And I finally decided that I, I was writing my tests in CoffeeScript. Uh, because to me, the clarity of the tests that you write should be, should be paramount. And 
I loved it. And I thought, well, if I like this clarity here, why don't I just extend this into my code? Because Node.js will understand and compile CoffeeScript. You don't have to actually go through the transcompilation process. And um, so you can have a full CoffeeScript application. And as I started doing it, I, I found myself with a bit of a mental break. It was weird. I, I was trying to write uh, core modules inside Node using CoffeeScript, and I was having to wade through a second level of errors. So I'd have CoffeeScript errors, and then I'd have JavaScript errors on top of that, and I'd have to oh. figure out, oh, God, wait a minute. And I just realized this is not an efficient use of my time here. Yeah. Because when the compiler, when Node would come across a problem with the JavaScript you wrote, it would pinpoint the line in place. But if you had a if you had a logic bug and in you know the compilation broke, you'd have to step through the CoffeeScript stack trace and then try and figure out what it means. Like, okay, what line am I breaking on here? Yeah. So I decided that I needed to push the issue and make a decision: Do I want to go full CoffeeScript or not? And I wrote a blog post on that exact issue. And man, right down the middle, right down the middle, people yeah. were split. They came back and said, "It's JavaScript. Just use it." You have to think forward and you think, well, you know, in 10 years time, is CoffeeScript still going to be around? Uh, maybe it will. Uh, per- perhaps it will even be understood natively in all browsers and, and replace JavaScript. You never know. So anyway, I don't ever want to sell anyone in using CoffeeScript. Okay. I think it's a great tool. All right. Well, maybe you could educate us a little bit. Like, for example, for those of us who don't know Ruby, mm-hmm. when, what's a splat exactly? <laughs> it sounds a disgusting. Splat. It's splat. It's just a. It's just a. Oh boy. It's arguments that come in that can be separated out uh, into an array, for for lack of better words. And so that it's is like this. an array split. Pretty much. It, yeah. And you, you they have uh, in you see that all the time in Sinatra, where the arguments come in, and you you can treat it as uh, well as like a params args keyword in C sharp. Sure. You, you could consider that a splat. Yeah. Okay. So in, in VB, you have a split. Like you can take a string and split it into an array and you pass a delimiter and now, now you have an array of strings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. All right, okay. And here's another fun one, the existential operator. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I am so depressed. I need an existential operator. I know, I know. It is, it's a, what a name. What a great what a word. I love it. Yeah, Um I believe in C sharp, the existential operator. Oh God, you caught me on my on my heels here. Is the double question mark? Richard, is that yeah. that's right? Yeah. In Ruby, it's or equals. So you, uh, you basically you're saying if this exists, great. If it's not, here assign it to this, which is actually one step better than the existential operator. Yeah. Uh, to me, uh, and I think they have it in CoffeeScript as well. Yeah, they do. So it that that facility doesn't exist necessarily in JavaScript. Although you, yes, it actually it does. Or equals works in JavaScript too. Wow, flexing. It's funny when you transition your brain through three stages of different languages, you always wonder, am I getting this right? <laughs> yeah, right. Forgetting so much. That's cool. And you can, of course, embed JavaScript in CoffeeScript, right? Yeah. You can yeah. sort of you, squirt out JavaScript natively if you want. Sort of. Um, it doesn't understand keywords like var. If you throw var in there, it won't know what you're doing. Um, but yeah, other, you can, if you want to put in colons and punctuation, you can. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik, makers of Kendo UI. Are you a web or mobile developer who wants to build amazing sites and apps? Looking for the best tool out there that can really improve your development work? We've got the answer for you. Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. In the complete integrated package, 
you'll find a jQuery-based toolset that includes rich UI widgets, a powerful data source, dynamic data visualizations, and blazing fast micro-templates, all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com .net, that's D-O-T-N-E-T, to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 60-day trial with support. Also, Tablet Show number 19 was an interview with Todd Anglin on the Kendo UI. Richard and I talked to him at length about this great tool set. That's at thetabletshow.com, and look for show number 19 in the archives. And when you talk to the Telerik guys, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. I love how, you know, the uh, Coffee Scripts version of Make and Rake is called Cake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Cake. That's a good one. That's a lot of fun. I like to have cake with my coffee, after all. Exactly. The dumb metaphor jokes just abound here. uh, Yeah. So so that's cool. I mean... You know that you, you answered my question satisfactorily. I mean, you know, my first thought was like, why would I write something that writes something? But I mean, if it's going to help you and if it's going to allow you to do things better and differently the way you think, then uh, then that's a good thing. Well, I would say specifically, if you're building, if you're building something um, in Node or even building something on the browser, your fellow testers will love you if you write clear tests. Yeah. Uh, in, in Node, there's a, a testing framework called Mocha. And you can use CoffeeScript natively. When you see the test side by side, oh my goodness, wow. it is just hands down. Write that in CoffeeScript. Wow. But it, it gets a little more difficult when you're writing framework level stuff, for me at least. And yeah, it's a very personal, subjective opinion. Sure. And it, you know, the interesting thing about this, in your original blog post, you went to the test, you're writing tests in, in CoffeeScript. Mm-hmm. You don't want to spend more time coding tests than you absolutely have to. True. So you want it as self-documenting as possible. Like it just—it's all mm-hmm. about trying to keep that already expensive thing under control. Yes, that's true. You want it to be direct. You want it to be legible, readable. Other team members can see it, uh, even if they don't know CoffeeScript and they look at your test suite. They'll figure out how to write it immediately. It's just you know they'll know the syntax of of what you need to do, and then yeah, off you go. Well, it's it's a terribly obvious language, isn't it? It is, and that's one thing I, I like about it. Um, there are some things you have to learn how to do with it, that's for sure, um, such as class constructors. What is it actually doing when you, when, you, when you write the word class and then you open up the parentheses and you're accepting an argument? So what's happening with those things? Can you consider those properties? And uh, you know, what, is, what does it mean? The at symbol trips up a lot of people. and Because um, you know, in Ruby, at symbols are, are class-wide, uh, and you, know, you, can, you can use them anywhere. In CoffeeScript, it's sort of that way. It's supposed to be that way, um, but it, it's a, it works a little bit differently. Uh, for instance, if you're writing uh, an application in Node and you put an at symbol in front of a variable and using CoffeeScript back in, let's call it the controller, mm-hmm. um, it won't be visible down in the view. And that trips up a lot of people because in Ruby and Rails, that's the way it works. Yeah, and it, that's just the problem is they're using the same symbology, so you expect the same behavior. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly, yes. So there are some mental leaps, but it, I, I kind of think there are quite few. Yeah, I just don't see the mixing of Ruby and JavaScript all that often. Yeah, it makes a really weird Franken-baby language. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's funny because JavaScript is such a... I, I talk to Dave Ward a lot. He mm-hmm. loves JavaScript. There's a lot of people that love this language, and I have yet to figure out why. 
<laughs> I think it's ridiculous. But at the same time, I also hated Los Angeles, right? And, you know, I, I go back and I love it now. So, I guess, as Dave always says, it's all in the way you learn to write it. And once you learn to write it a particular way, then you begin to love it. So, I guess I can give him that. Well, and I mean, we interviewed um, Doug Crockford back in 2009, and that mm. was, you know, the book, uh, you know, JavaScript, The Good Parts, had been out for a while already. But it, it feels to me like he saved the language. We had made fun of it for long enough that it was being ignored. But once you got into the good parts, then, you know, there was th good things started to happen. And it was a real way to do client development. And oh, then, yeah. I mean, what was it? What the Im I'm trying to get my head around the impact of the compilers on JavaScript, that suddenly we've gotten so much better at mm -hmm. executing JavaScript because it used to suck. Yeah, it, um it's funny, the V8 engine, um, I actually, for some reason, I, I can't remember why, I actually went and looked at the source of the V8 engine, the one that runs behind Chrome. Mm -hmm. And of course, Google has an interest in making JavaScript run fast. Its entire web strategy is based on JavaScript running fast in its browser. Yeah. So I went in and I looked at the source, and one of the fun little bits of trivia I found is that they use <laughs> they use Microsoft source code that was open source a way long time ago in the yeah. V8 engine. Wow! It's uh, I think it's the C templating engine. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember laughing and laughing when I saw that. Ah. So, uh, but yeah, engines like that—that's what fires Node. That's it's super fast. Yeah. It, and Doug Crockford's book absolutely fired people's imagination up, and more than that. I think when you start using a tool like Node, not to get off on Node, but when you start using a tool like Node and you work with a library like Socket.io, mm -hmm. which works and abstracts away WebSockets, and you see how simple it is to open a connection to your server and pipe evented data back and forth, mm. that's when you kind of think, whoa, we are in different times. And of course, you can do that on .NET using SignalR, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, though, we recently did a show... Uh, talking about Node running on Azure mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and with Socket IO, so I mean you can do it in Node on mm -hmm. the Microsoft stack if you wish. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yes, absolutely, that's right. This, but yeah, the thing is, as soon as I think about, I like the Socket idea. I mean, I come from that era of mm -hmm. let's just connect to the server and go. Me too. Right? <laughs> yeah. But these aren't web apps anymore. Really? No. No. They're, well, they're a different species entirely. When you think about HTML5 and all it can do in Canvas, and yeah, we uh, you can see why Silverlight kind of went belly up, not to open up another can of worms, but <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't need the thick client anymore, and that, that's not supposed to be mean. I'm just saying they've, you know, it's clear you can see the strategy moving forward with the capabilities of the browser. Yeah, I just, I, I've yet to see as clean and rich and smooth a client built in HTML5, as you can mm -hmm. see routinely in Silverlight and Flash. Mm -hmm. I mean, both plugins both have their sins. I'm going to say that. But honestly, you know, it's still pretty tough to build a, that good an experience in HTML5. Yeah, I would agree with that. Plus, all the HTML5 stuff is really new. And, you know, there's so many things are changing. So, I don't know. Well, I'm really thinking it's tooling, right? I mean, I, I also think, it, I, I said this uh, on the earlier show, that I think what made JavaScript bearable and what is what made all dynamic languages bearable. You know, Ruby led the way. It's about test infrastructure. It's about tooling that makes dynamic languages manageable. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you stay out of the Perl hell? Yeah, so this is interesting. By tooling, you mean 
but what do you mean by tooling? I I mean test infrastructure, and mm. I mean having good uh, IDEs when you're writing code, <laughs> so that you're able to get at the right things to build the code effectively. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that a lot of folks, uh, you know, I have the discussion about dynamic languages versus static quite often, mm-hmm. and a lot of people feel that. You know, I was just talking to John Skeet about it just the other day. And um, he says, I want to know at compile time if my code isn't going to work. And, you know, the dynamic Ruby type of person would say, well, you should know because your test will tell you. Yeah. And, and so then you have this weird back and forth because everyone says, well, I test. Of course I test. Of course I test. But then, you know. But if you test, then you would know. Yeah. You know, now so, we get into what does it mean to test? Exactly. Yeah. Then we could have a whole other discussion. And a whole other show. We could do two shows in one right here, you guys. How exciting. <laughs> but I, I think it's really important on this side, on the, dy- what's, you know, this resurgence of dynamic languages, because they're not new, no. right? I mean, these have always been around. But this idea that as we started to look beyond the object paradigm and look beyond the sort of typed, static, safe world, we want to write less code and do more. We, mm-hmm. we sort of looked back at dynamic and said, now, how do we, how, we've been here. How does mm-hmm. it, we make this not suck? How do we make survivable code using this kind of language? And I think it's all about the infrastructure we built around it. The, we have to protect ourselves from the dangers of language. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because it even goes deeper. Someone, I forgot where the quote came from. Uh, they were talking about C-sharp and VB at the time. But I think it's equally applicable to C-sharp and a language like Ruby, for instance, where they said, you know, C-sharp and all C-based languages were written based on the way machines think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and these other languages like VB, which is at the time, but, you know, Ruby is written with the way people think in mind. So right there, you have a massive chasm between people that really enjoy expressive languages um, and that let you do a little bit more, a little more freely. As David Heinemeyer Hansen likes to say, you know, Ruby is used by consenting adult programmers. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, but at the same time, you know, he sees a language like C Sharp and Java, whatnot, as handcuffing you to go down a very specific path. Now, that's his ceremony. Yeah. Yeah, In other words, other people like John Skeet love this structure to work within because they can make this structure do beautiful things. So, you know, to each his own, right? Yeah. So that's sort of why I like. VB, um, because it, it it's clean. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago, I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Grape City Power Tools Spread. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package. So You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.NET from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. So I'm looking at CoffeeScript, coffeescript.org. And I see uh, what they have is they have samples of CoffeeScript on the left, samples of JavaScript, the same thing on the right. And under the heading, everything is an expression, at least as much as possible. It um, shows this function that basically just has a bunch of if, else if, nested ifs, and all of that kind of stuff. 
And it's about four levels of that in the JavaScript version with curly braces and around everything. And there's no return like under each statement. The return is pushed down the branch of the function. So essentially there's one if and then there's an else if. There's no curly braces. And then inside of an else if there's a you know another if then else and it just seems like yeah of course if i was writing a language today i wouldn't why why do you need those curly braces i mean everything after if and the expression and then before else if that's what you want that's what you want to return yeah one thing too that we haven't talked much about is that um coffeescript also leans on some aesthetics from python so ah. it's what they say white space aware so the indentations that you use uh, signify uh, what you would have uh, surrounding with braces. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, which is wonderful. And so it even, it does better in Ruby because Ruby uses a, an end, a if end or a yeah. do end, whatever to signify a block. Mm-hmm. CoffeeScript does away with that even and just says indent it, which I think is really clever. Yeah, it's very nice and uh, and clean. And, you know, that's, like I said, that's one of the reasons I like VB because yeah. I find that those, curly braces are just unnecessary. The parser is fast enough and smart enough to figure out that between here and here, this is what I want to do. Hey, uh, Richard, guess what time it is? Must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's that time to give away a prize. We, uh, Rob, what we're doing on the show is we have a .NET Rocks fan club, and every show we give away a something. This time we're giving away a Telerik Ultimate Collection, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a $2,000 value. And today's winner is Darren Boone. Congratulations, Darren. Congratulations, Darren. Very nice. Very nice. Darren, you uh, you win the prize. So if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com and click on the big Get Free Stuff button in the upper right-hand corner. Sign up for the fan club. Uh, it's very easy to do, and uh, we'll, we'll, you'll win stuff. We, you will. You and will. And at the end of the year, we're giving away $5,000 worth of cool stuff. And I can't tell you what it is yet because we haven't built it yet. Yes, we're going to handpick some serious technology. Richard the Toy Boy will have his hand in it. You know it's going to be awesome. So uh, you, you don't want to miss out on that. So right. click on the link. Get free stuff. I want to jump back to uh, a point you made just before the break there, uh, Rob, because now you've really convinced me of the human-readable versus machine-readable. You know, indents are so incredibly human readable, mm-hmm. and normally that we throw them all away for the machine readable stuff, right? That's why mm-hmm. we use curly braces, semicolons, and all that sort of thing. That's all about what the machine thinks. So I love this idea that the indents matter, that organizing your code in a way that is human readable is mm-hmm. then properly interpreted by the by the uh, compiler. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I believe it's flexible as well, too. A lot of people prefer tabs over spaces and those kinds of things. So it just depends on how you start off the document. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you use a certain number of tabs, it'll just parse based on tabs. If you use two spaces or four spaces, it'll, it'll use that as well. It's a pretty intelligent compiler. So is there anything that you can't do in CoffeeScript that you can do in JavaScript? Are there any brick walls that you hit? Not that I know of. Um, if anything, it's a nit. That, you know, I've had, I've just had some weirdness, um, when I hit a coffee script parsing error. Do, is that, is that a coffee script error? Or is that a JavaScript error? Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of, but that just takes, for, for a lot of people that I've talked to is that they get, they get beyond that quite quickly. They understand the errors immediately. 
uh, one error I had that was really annoying was keyword not recognized. And I was staring at the, the code file thinking, what are you talking about? And I had ah. inadvertently used var. And uh, I thought, wait oops. a minute, this is JavaScript. <laughs> no, it's, I guess I can't use var because it's not just JavaScript. So yeah, you, you have little things like that you have to figure out. All right. And this actually gets back to Richard's point too. If you have good syntax highlighting that recognizes CoffeeScript, that gives you some visual cues. Uh, I know a lot of people like to use WebStorm IDE. I use uh, Sublime Text 2, which is quite nice. TextMate has it. I believe even Visual Studio has it now with uh, the Lightspeed Workbench. Hmm. Uh, you can go, and I believe it's free from the guys at Mindscape. Uh, and it you know, just parses CoffeeScript for you and also does syntax highlighting. It's pretty neat. That's awesome. Well, you talked about Node.js as being, um, you know, one a really good reason to use CoffeeScript. Are there are there any other really uh, popular, um, shall I say, services or tools or anything mm-hmm. else that that uses CoffeeScript that's encouraged encouraging? Yeah, uh, Backbone JS is one where if you use CoffeeScript with that, uh, things suddenly become very clear. Wow, uh, and I haven't done anything, uh, let's see, I, I was going to say I haven't recorded any videos uh, or published any videos on that yet, but if you go to PeepCode and you buy, uh, I think it's Backbone, his Backbone.js uh, number three, he does everything in uh, CoffeeScript. I would say just buy all three because they're amazing. He yeah. starts off in JavaScript in the first one, then goes to CoffeeScript in the second and third, and the, it, the difference is dramatic. Okay. Well, that's cool. Um, Rob, uh, is there anything else that we want to talk about CoffeeScript-wise, or should we just ask you the all-important and, you know, inevitable question, so what's on your mind these days, Rob? (laughs) Um, I would say that if, uh, given that we're on .NET Rocks and there's a lot of .NET folks out there, if you want to play with uh, uh, CoffeeScript, go get the Lightspeed, um, I believe it's Lightspeed, Workbench from Mindscape, uh, and open up two windows vertically split and watch what happens. It's fascinating. And then you, you, know, you can just plug it right into your project. You don't have to worry about compilers or anything. Uh, Scott Hanselman actually shows this on the video that we did at TechPub. I put him on the spot to learn CoffeeScript so that you know, they didn't have to give a presentation on it. It was kind of fun. I put the screws <laughs> to him. <laughs> and very, it's great because at the very last minute, he's, I'm, I'm going to film him now doing his talk. And then I look at him and I go, oh, dude, there's no internet here. Because he had all this stuff planned <laughs> to hit the that internet. That was a so. really evil laugh you just did there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I put him on the I spot. Have, <laughs> I abused him. I abused him. So, nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. uh, well. So what's on your mind these days, Rob? What is on my mind? Any well, subject at all? I am, I am so wanting that truck to stop backing up right now. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Are you, you're in Hawaii. Are you outside on your porch, on your no, lanai? I have, I have an office space here to get away from the noise, right? Because okay. the old joke used to be when I would talk to people, and they'd hear a chicken, you know, in the background. <laughs> say, is that a, is and you're that like, a I want to go to Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> what happens with these chickens? Chick- <laughs> they'd say is that a chicken and i say yeah i was just sitting here wondering why it's crossing the road and i don't know that's like <laughs> <laughs> so yeah sorry for the dumb jokes but that's I'm, all right. anyway the the, the uh, truck has stopped backing up so what is What's on, on my mind? mind yeah i've just been working with a note a lot because i've been trying to do uh, some recordings about it and just really diving deep into it and i swear to god every day 
something new breaks my brain and I see programming in a whole different way. And, uh, I go home a complete vegetable. It takes me a good Speaking 45 Speaking of vegetables, minutes. did we tell you about our interview with the leak? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, he, boy. He knew I a lot should. about memory management. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. It's not sorry. But anyway, I would say if anybody out there wants to, uh, really wants to expand their horizons and think differently about programming, check out Node. It's, uh, it's brilliant. It really is. Now, you're not the first person to say that, Rob, but what is it about Node? Ah, oh, man, what is it about Node? Well, you think differently about what you're doing. Um, the thing that really made me understand Node is when I watched a presentation with Ryan Dahl, where he was trying to explain how Node is non-blocking, which is mm-hmm. what everyone says. What does that yep. even mean, right? And so he said, this is what it means. And he went and got Apache Benchmark, hit his little laptop with 2,000 requests a second, and uh, they all came back in exactly two seconds. Wow. Yeah, and that's a great thought, demonstration. If you actually understand scaling problems, that'll yeah. make you wet your pants. Well, and it's weird because so when I was doing the demonstration or the uh, video here, I did exactly that. There's a tool called Node Load. It's a module. You can, you can load test your stuff. And I did a thousand requests. Uh, I think it was a thousand a second. Let it run for a couple of seconds. And I looked at the graph and it was a flat line, the scaling report. And so you I thought it wasn't working. Well, yeah, and I couldn't understand why. Wait a minute, I'm doing a database query in here. Hello? Yeah, and so that's, the long and short of it is, the way Node delegates things off to the event loop, which, you know, runs at a system level, Mm -hmm. and just goes off to do other things and waits for it to come back, is brilliant. It's single-threaded. It's brilliant. Now, it doesn't mean it's the catch-all silver bullet, but it just makes you see things so differently, and, and Mm. and I really appreciate that. So, uh, has anyone ever told you you look just like the announcer of .NET Rocks, uh, Lawrence Ryan? <laughs> no, I've never heard that. Yeah, you guys could be twins. No. Yeah. It's really funny. I wonder if I could sound like Lawrence Ryan. <laughs> From HanselMinutes.com. <laughs> it's it's HanselMinutes. With Scott Hanselman, <laughs> technologist. Let's see how many times we could say Hansel in a row. <laughs> <laughs> He's my favorite vegetable. Come on, you guys. Don't I love me. Scott. <laughs> Scott was one of the reasons I started .NET Rocks, because I had a conversation with him at a dinner, uh, or an RD dinner, that blew my mind. And I was like, oh, my God, this is gold. we got to make yeah. a show. Scott's the reason I wake up in the morning. Yep. Was, so that, was that too much? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you Rob. Put, you, you put a picture over the bed. Is that where you're going? <laughs> oh, please, boy. please. All right, guys. We'll call it a show here. Thanks a lot, uh, Rob. This has been great, and um, I'm uh, I'm a believer now. Uh, uh, I'm going to check it out because I'm all about clean code. Great. Well, it's nice talking to you guys. Thanks for what you having me. All right, and we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. 
Franklinsnet.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 